by the way, this, this is a, a fantastic uh, bit of work here behind me in preparation for your vacation Bible school. Whoever is responsible for this, this is, this is really great. And the uh, welcome out front and, and getting ready for the vacation Bible school, um, we really pray that that will be a, a great uh, experience for those who come and participate, uh, and participate in it. Uh, the, the sermon tonight will be from the book of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, and um, we'll only read um, four verses, and there, there's, always, there's always a little bit of a problem when you have a whole story, uh, and you only clip out four verses, there's a lot that you miss before and a lot that you don't get to afterwards, uh, but that's the, that's the nature of, of, uh, of how we uh, preach and structure our services, and I'll, I'll, I'll refer to some of the earlier parts of the story and also look ahead to some of the later parts of the story, but our focus will be on these first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 6 under the topic of, um, of a great work. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the gates in place, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Let's pray for God's blessing on this word. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word, uh, your word of life. Um, such an ancient text, and yet speaking directly into our lives uh, with words that are, that are very clear and powerful. We pray that we will hear those words this evening, that you will speak into our lives, that in, in areas of distraction or discouragement, that you will speak words of encouragement, and that your word will, um, will go deeply into, into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you will guide... Um, the words that I speak and the way that I say them, that this may in fact be uh, the word that you would have spoken here uh, this afternoon. We pray for the blessing of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of people uh, who can really connect with Nehemiah's story. Uh, they're wrapping up uh, the last few acres on the field or putting up those last few sheets of plywood or jigging the last few minutes uh, for walleye, and, and wouldn't you know it, it's time for that meeting. Let's say it's a consistory meeting. Well, kudos to the guy who sends a message to the pastor saying, why should the work stop while I go down and meet with you? Um, that will be the brave elder or deacon who sends that message to the pastor. Why should I go down and meet with you um, while I have things to do? What was so important that Nehemiah could send a message that was, that was, it was almost rude. Uh, what was so important? Um, he says, I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. What was this great project? Well, he was building a wall. At the first glance, uh, Nehemiah seems to be missing a really good opportunity uh, to 
um, engage with what are described as his enemies. Um, these guys with the funny sounding names uh, in the beginning of the passage, um, they're the ones who have been disturbing the work on the wall up to this point in time. They've been abusing the workers. They've been insulting uh, the nature of the work that's going on. And then finally, it seems that they're, they're ready to take the route of diplomacy. Well, let's get together and have a, have a meeting. And at that moment, Nehemiah squanders that opportunity. What, what was such a great work that he couldn't leave it and go down? Was it just about building a wall? Well, we're going to see uh, as we go into this a little, in a little detail that Nehemiah was a man on a mission, and it wasn't just about building a wall. It was about doing a great work. So we'll look at Nehemiah's great work, and then our great work, and then finally uh, the great work of God in Jesus Christ. So Nehemiah's great work, our great work, and then that of Jesus Christ. First of all, Nehemiah. In the beginning of the book, what we haven't read, but in the beginning of this book, Nehemiah is described as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And you might think, well, cupbearer, you know, the, probably the closest equivalent we have for that today is a bartender. Um, he was a bartender for the king. But it was a position of a lot of prestige, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because you wouldn't necessarily think so. The cupbearer would drink a bit of the wine for each cup that the king would take to test to see if it was poisoned or not. And if it killed the cupbearer, the king would know that that's not the bottle of wine that he should be drinking out of. But it, it, was, it was a position of great, um, um, great prestige uh, to, be, to be the cupbearer to the king. But Nehemiah was not at home in Persia um, in the king's court. Uh, he was an Israelite, and he grew up hearing the stories that went back over a century about how his country had been invaded, how the capital city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed, and his family, Nehemiah's family, had been carried into exile. And even though in the past few years some of the Israelites had come back uh, to the land, the city of Jerusalem was still lying in ruins, and that is what pained Nehemiah, how could the city of David, Mount Zion, um, the glorious psalms that speak of, this, of this, this place, how could that place lie in ruins? So Nehemiah goes to talk to his boss, who is a person of significant influence. He's the king of Persia. And Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king... Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. That was the great work that Nehemiah wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild the city of Jerusalem starting with the walls. So he, he mobilizes the Israelites that are living uh, in the area and the work progresses. We read of gate after gate after gate being repaired in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. So we could say that Nehemiah is a good leader. In fact, if, if you read some of the, the Bible commentaries um, on, on this particular passage, they say, what we can see from this is that Nehemiah was a great leader 
Um, he exercises great administrative abilities and he's able to, to uh, resolve conflicts and so that's what we have to learn from Nehemiah. And I don't doubt that Nehemiah was a great leader, but I wonder if, if that's really what the story of uh, Nehemiah was all about. Was it really about leadership that we're supposed to learn? Or maybe the question is even more pointed. Is this story really about building a wall? At the heart of it, is this story really about building a wall? And I would say that there is so much more going on in this story than meets the eye. Um, there's a story there's a story that's going on behind what we see Nehemiah involved in. And it, it's a story that's about God's faithfulness and a story that's about Israel's unfaithfulness. Um, Israel, in, in, in a covenant with God, uh, disobedient to that covenant and driven into exile, just as God had promised. No surprise. It was just as God had promised. But then the faithfulness of God in bringing them back from exile, just as God had promised. So the story behind this story of Nehemiah is one of, of Israel's unfaithfulness and of God's faithfulness. It's a story of God's grace. We sometimes describe grace as, as undeserved favor. Um, and this is an undeserved favor uh, that is shown to Israel, but for a particular purpose. And that particular purpose is so that the nations around Israel would know that there is no God but God, the God of Israel. So it really is a story about a mission to the nations, so that the nations would know, as God was dealing with Israel, the nations would know that there is no God like this God. Well, that's, I, I do admit that that's a pretty bold um, statement to make from just these first four verses. How, how can you say that this is a story about mission? Well, Nehemiah begins his prayer in, in the first chapter of his book, uh, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and this is what he prays. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commandments. God is a covenant keeper. He's faithful to his promises. That is, uh, that, that, that is the foundation of, of, of what Nehemiah is uh, engaged in. God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God, and Nehemiah prays that back to God as a reminder. And then he goes on with his prayer. O oh Lord, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I will bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And that place was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where God's name dwelled in the language of the Old Testament. 
That's why it was important to, to, to repair the gates and to build up the walls. It's because God's name was associated with that place. Now, I, I, I wonder if for any of us, if, if we drive past a, a yard that's broken down and if there's fences there, the fences are in disrepair and the shrubs are all looking like they haven't been uh, cared for for a, for a long time. When you see a yard like that, does it form in your mind an impression of the one who's living there or the one who owns the place? I, I, know, I know for me it does. You think, hmm, that, that person, maybe they're lazy. Maybe, uh, maybe they don't care. Um, well, at, at an even deeper level, that's what was going on here with Jerusalem. It was God's reputation among the nations, God's reputation that was at stake with this ruined city. So God's name was connected to Jerusalem, but God's name was also placed on a people, on a particular people, and th those are the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. Every time the priests would bless the Israelites, God's name would be placed on them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And those are very familiar words, I think, for us too. God's name being placed on a people. During the time of Nehemiah, God's name was placed or dwelled in Jerusalem, and his name was placed or dwelled on a people as well. And it was placed on them for blessing. That God would turn his face to his people for the purpose of blessing them. But what was Israel supposed to do with that blessing? And this is, this is a critical point. Psalm 67 summarizes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That's the blessing of the priests. May God's face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Now, Israel didn't always get that part very well. They were happy with God's blessing. They loved it when God's face was shining on them, when his grace was shown to them. But so often, they forgot that they were blessed to be a blessing so that God's name and salvation would be known among the nations that were around them. So, so Nehemiah's great project, it wasn't about a wall, really. It was about God's honor and reputation among the nations. It was about bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, God's faithfulness was announced with every brick that was placed into that wall as it went up. It was God's faithfulness that was being celebrated and, and announced uh, to the nations around. So that was, that was Nehemiah's great work. Let's, let's go on then to um, the second point, our great work. 
it's hardly different than Nehemiah's. Or maybe we're not building walls like he was, but we share in the same mission to make God's name known among the nations. With one big difference. It's not all about Jerusalem anymore. Jerusalem as the dwelling place uh, for God's name. Because about 450 years after Nehemiah, we read in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. God became human and walked among us on the earth. If it's God you're looking for, you don't go to Jerusalem anymore as the place where God dwells. You have to see Jesus. God came to us in Jesus Christ. So how do people meet Jesus? How do they meet Jesus? Well, here's the stunning, humbling, frightening, challenging, joyful answer People meet Jesus through us. Whether you're a missionary in Nigeria or a student at Red Deer College or a work-at-home mom or a carpenter on the work site, if people are going to meet Jesus, they will meet him through you. It's not all about Jerusalem anymore. Not after Pentecost. Pentecost said, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's not all about Jerusalem anymore. But it is still about a people who are called by God's name. Remember, it was focused on a place and on a people. And we're saying it's not anymore focused on a place, but it is still focused on a people. Exodus chapter 19, the Old Testament God says to Israel, you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's almost repeated in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, God says to us, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are called, you are chosen, you are blessed for a purpose, and that is to be a blessing, to declare the praises of him who called you. So how do people meet Jesus? Only through us. You and me, people belonging to God, living and telling a story of, of, of extraordinarily news. Just recently, uh, Carolyn and I got a plaque um, from World Mission thanking us for 21 years of uh, missionary work with them. You've done a great work, someone said to us. Well, in reality, sometimes Carolyn and I look back and we wonder how much we actually accomplished. We, we, really, we really do. We remember with so much affection and, and gratitude uh, th those times of telling Bible stories in, in villages where the stories had never been heard before and people coming to follow Christ. And we said, man, that was good. 
and mothers, the gratitude of mothers whose children were prayed over and received medicine uh, for malaria. Uh, we look back and we say, yeah, there was something very rewarding about that. But then we, we hear stories of conflict in churches and, and Christians fighting with each other. And, and, and we wonder about the teaching that, I've, that I committed so many years uh, in Nigeria to. And you wonder, how deep did some of that teaching actually go if we have the kind of conflicts that we have? in some of our churches uh, in Nigeria. Or we just listen to the news from Nigeria uh, with bombings and, and terrorist stuff. And, and, and we wonder, you know, did our stay there make uh, any difference? One brutally honest friend uh, in North America here asked us point blank, did your work make any difference? Well, I, I, I think that's a good question, and I think it's a question actually for all of us. Does our work make any difference? Do the things that we're involved in, even if it's not employment, but, but our lives, um, are we making any difference? Well, this, this afternoon, I, I think that our encouragement from this story is to see our work, our life, whatever we do, it's part of a much bigger story than just the nine-to-five job. It's bigger than just the project you're doing. It's bigger than just building a wall. It's not about success. It's not about how much money we're making. It's not about having changed Nigeria. If that was the case, we would look back at our work in Nigeria and say, oh my goodness, uh, I would say we weren't involved in a very great work. But when we see what we do as part of a much larger picture, like Nehemiah, when we see that as part of a much bigger picture, it is an encouragement beyond what we can imagine. What we do is not insignificant. It's not just building the wall. It's of much greater significance. Our great work is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, we do that through thankful living. We do that when we do our work with integrity. Uh, we do that uh, when we share with our neighbor uh, the reason for the hope that we have. Um, we do that when we send out missionaries to places where the gospel hasn't been known. We are that people who have had God's name placed on us. We have been we have been baptized. We have been branded, as it were, as that people to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. It's, it's not a matter of adding church attendance into our weekly activities. It's not a matter of adding a mission trip into our life experiences. And it's not even a matter of, of spending what some might say is a career in missionary service. Rather, it's, 
It's a whole life for every one of us. We've been, I've used that word before, we've been branded with God's name. And we declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness. So that's our great work. Finally then, um, we've seen Nehemiah's great work and our great work, and then um, to God's uh, great work in Jesus Christ. As I've said already a number of times, uh, Nehemiah's work on the wall was just one small part of a big story. Uh, the wall was built, the gates were put into place, the city was renewed, the temple was restored, and it was out of this renewed community that Jesus Christ would be born. It was out of building the wall, that, that work of building the wall, out of that community came Jesus Christ. What do we say in the Apostles' Creed? He suffered, crucified, dead, buried, arose, and ascended. That bigger story, it goes on. That's that, that, that story that is so much bigger than just any one of our activities or any one of our projects. The, the first disciples, go and tell that message around. That story went from place to place to place, and somewhere, somewhere it came into our family. Somewhere it came to us through the, through the faithful witness of someone who recognized that this is a bigger story than just the little contribution that I'm making, but that God is up to some great work. And that great work, of course, is centered in Jesus Christ. Um, sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we're distracted. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, says, in our times of discouragement and distraction, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that's where I would like our encouragement uh, to be here this afternoon. The, the, the great work of Jesus is a completed work. That's why it says he sat down. It is finished. It is done. When we read the, the parables of um, the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep, uh, we see that in all of these parables there is such great rejoicing uh, when the lost are found. And I think that that points us to the heart of why Jesus Christ came. And what was the joy that was set before him? And that was the salvation of those who walk in the darkness. Or as we read in the Bible, those who are lost. And it is in the salvation of those that we see story after story showing us great rejoicing. That is the great work of Jesus Christ. So when we're tempted and we're distracted, to take encouragement from that 
the work that we're engaged in is not insignificant. It's part of a much greater picture and a much greater story that's being told in your life and in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your uh, encouragement uh, from the word today. We thank you for your grace. Um, the riches that, that you give to us through no account of our own. And we are grateful and we submit ourselves to you and pray that, uh, that you will find us faithful in the work that you call us to do. Um, that we not be distracted, that we not be discouraged, uh, but that we see that uh, for, for each of our lives, uh, we are bearing testimony to a much greater work that has been done in Jesus Christ. So keep us faithful, Lord. Um, draw us close to you. Uh, encourage us and um, help us uh, to see um, optimis uh, optimistically into the future because it's not our great work, but it is yours. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.